if you love animals, pets, dogs, all the things, then this is definitely the episode that you're going to want to listen to. I am a big animal lover. If that's not something you know about me, then let me just tell you, I could not have enough animals. My husband would tell you otherwise. I am so pumped about this episode. Today's episode is with Kirsty McConnell and Caitlin McCall of the Pet Photographers Club. Now, these two incredible women have run successful pet photography businesses for over a decade. Now, they run the Pet Photographers Club as the go-to platform for established and aspiring pet photographers to grow their business. They have a weekly podcast, organize the International Pet Photographer of the Year Awards, host workshops, courses, and the Virtual Pet Photographers Conference, which I will be a panel speaker this year at. Just keep that in mind. They also put out tons of free resources and bring the community together through their mastermind group and other events. Today's conversation, we covered so much ground. We talked about who shouldn't be a pet photographer, how to incorporate pets into your studio offerings, and even where to find your first pet clients. This is a great episode if you're thinking that pet photography may be a good way to diversify your income. So listen in and let us know what you think about today's episode. Hey y'all, welcome to season two of the Success Beyond Lens podcast. If you're a photographer looking to grow your business through marketing strategy and different revenue streams, then this is 100% the season you're going to want to listen into. We have a range of guests talking about different ways to grow your photography business through multiple marketing platforms, copy strategy, and revenue streams. So grab your favorite glass of wine, a cup of coffee, your AirPods, and a pen and paper, and let's dive in. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining on this episode of the Success Beyond Lens podcast. I'm really, really excited to talk with these two lovely ladies from the Pet Photographers Club, Kirsty McConnell and Caitlin McCall. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having us, Jen. It's fun to be on the other side of the uh, microphone. We're usually the ones interviewing. <laughs> this is nice. Feels good. <laughs> so, Caitlin, tell us a little bit about about yourself. Well, hi, I'm Caitlin. (laughs) I am a professional pet photographer, have been for over a decade now. I run Ragamuffin Pet Photography in Melbourne, Australia, and I'm also co-host of the Pet Photographers Club podcast with my my work wifey, Kirsty. So we've been doing this for, gosh, it must be three, four years now, I think. I should know that before I start saying it. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And yeah, so I'm a a full-time pet photographer and the Pet Photographers Club is our sort of passion project. We like teaching pet photographers how to run their own businesses and grow their own businesses because it's a pretty awesome niche. So yeah, that's me. And I am the other half of the Pet Photographers Club, Kirsty McConnell, also a fellow pet photographer, or I was at least for about a decade uh, when I lived in Australia, I am Australian, started my small business out of my mom's little uh, garage thing uh, when I was 21 years old in a small country town of 30,000 people. Shortly after or the following year, I went on a road trip doing a book idea I had as a launch of my business and uh, it led me to one of the uh, capital cities of Australia, Adelaide, and I ended up staying there. And that's where I really sort of um, propelled my business to become an actual business. 
And uh, yeah, I did that for quite a while, eight or nine years or something there, before I moved to Italy with my husband in 2020. He is Italian. He wanted to come home. So (laughs) that's what brought me here. I don't speak Italian or at least uh, not well enough to be a pet photographer here. So unfortunately, I uh, am not currently photographing pets, but I still get my uh, kind of fix of working within the pet photography uh, world by uh, helping other pet photographers grow their business and uh, running workshops and classes, as Caitlin said, through the Pet Photographers Club. And of course, uh, by co-hosting the podcast too. So that's me. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to get a chance to talk to y'all. If my audience doesn't already know, I came on their podcast. I think it's airing sometime in February. Is that right? I think. All right. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm really excited for that episode to come out and I can listen to them talk all day long. And if you know me, you know, I have four dogs and horses and all of the things. So this is a niche that I was really, really excited to have on the podcast. Oh, it's a, it's a pretty awesome niche. I mean, obviously we're biased, but how can you get better than (laughs) dogs and photography? It's the best. (laughs) I completely, completely agree. So tell me how the two of you ended up meeting and this idea came about Were you both, did you meet in, in Australia or was that later? Our love story. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we met because Kirsty hired me to do a shoot with her dog, Flea, Fleavy, Fleef. And so my usual shoots go for about an hour and we just hit it off. And I think we shot for like four hours or something. And then when we got dinner and drinks, and this is not something that I usually do with my clients, but we just, <laughs> we, we really hit it off. We just kept wanting to talk shop because Kirsty was at that time, was it that you were transitioning into wanting to do more pets, Kirst? Yeah, I imagine. Well, I was already in Adelaide then, so I must have been like really pushing pets. I was still doing a couple of family shoots on the side because Um, that's where my background was. I'd worked for a kind of a premier uh, family newborn wedding studio before I had my own business. So I was definitely comfortable doing that kind of stuff. And so I was doing still some families, but my goal was to go full-time as pet photography, of course, back in 2012, although by the time I met Caitlin, it was probably a year and a half later, I guess. That wasn't a thing like it is today. And still in a lot of countries, it's really still emerging. But uh, in Australia, there was really just a, a handful of pet photographers that were making it work. Caitlin was one of the few. Um, there was a few others as well. And so I was still learning that that was even a possibility. And uh, yeah, not long after having my shoot with Caitlin is when I really went uh, full, full blown into pet photography. So yeah, that's definitely part of it. We used to... Um because we're not, so Adelaide and Melbourne, for anyone who's not familiar, are not close to each other at all. We're in different states. So every time that Kirsty would come and visit, we would end up, you know, if she was there visiting her family or something, we'd be like, oh, let's catch up for the afternoon. And we would just chat shop for hours because, I mean, photographers know it can be pretty lonely, you know, running our own businesses. There's only so much that our friends and family want to hear about <laughs> the ins and outs of running a photography business. So to be honest, it felt even lonelier running a pet photography business because there's not even that many people, you know, within our towns that do that specific niche. So it was really exciting whenever we could catch up to just chat shop. And then eventually after years, we realised that everyone all around the world is probably 
feeling this same sense of loneliness, the same feeling of like, no one's really doing this. Like I would love to talk about, you know, oh, how sad is it when you have an end of life session or how difficult is it when, you know, you've got this dog that isn't trained at all and do you have any tips for that? How do we get clients to invest in artwork when it's about their pets? All these questions that we have when it's pet photography specific. Anyway, we figured everyone around the world is probably feeling the same thing. And we also decided that we have these long, long conversations and maybe we could just record them. <laughs> Actually, I think that was the, the sentence that we use. Like, oh, we should just record these. Like yeah. plenty of people would be <laughs> interested in listening to us babble on. Now we look back like, no, nobody wanted to hear us like back and forth debating this kind of thing. Obviously, people do want to hear since the podcast is still going all these years later is expert advice from uh, other industry professionals because uh, we also interview others and um, and the occasional chat uh, between Caitlin and I and then, uh, you know, specific workshops and topics and that kind of thing. So we luckily did work that out before we launched the podcast and uh, we didn't just launch it as a record us in a busy cafe chatting away <laughs> like we used to do for hours at least, uh, yeah, <laughs> before I went to a bar. <laughs> I love it. So, Tell me what creating this has looked like. I mean, you said you're in different states. So, and obviously now you're in different countries, right? The countries. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, is this right? Geography is not my strong suit. So when (laughs) you all first got started, how, how long was the drive between like your two states? Oh, um, when I was in Australia, it's uh, 11 hours from my city to Caitlin's city without stopping or with only just, you know, pausing for fuel or whatever. Right. So, yeah, we obviously we're not recording together in person ever. We've never done that. And to oh, be wow. fair, I mean, that actually helped us a lot because maybe the following year, was it Caitlin? Or even maybe it was just a few months after we started, I went traveling and I was gone for like <laughs> four that. months. I think it was And you had that terrible internet. (laughs) (laughs) And I was in Central Asia, by the way. So like uh, countries like Kyrgyzstan, Georgia, like all over. And uh, yeah, the internet was not great. And on top of that, we'd already scheduled interviews before I booked my trip. And so I was getting up. Do you remember, Caitlin? I was getting up at like 2.30 in the morning so that we could record because the time zones were such a mess and it was like impossible to change it but luckily we built the podcast around that flexibility because I mean I'm not intending on me having to get up at 2 30 but you know we were never in the same city or, or very rarely and so we always recorded Caitlin in her home me in my home or a yurt in the middle of Central <laughs> Asia and so then when I moved to Italy then it was not a problem at all, apart from obviously time zoning for ske- like scheduling interviews can be a bit tricky if there's a US guest too, but we managed to make that work too. Luckily, Caitlin gets up with the sparrows these days, so we're all good. <laughs> um, but I think you asked a question, Jen, back then. Sorry, we uh, digressed, but you asked uh, how we went about establishing it. Was that the question? Yeah. Just how did you go about establishing the business business? Like it started as like this idea where we're just going to be best friends chatting. And then it kind of, it's evolved in this like pet photographers club with workshops and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
anybody that knows Caitlin, and I know maybe your audience don't yet, but uh, you'll get to if you do tune into our uh, podcast, we'll learn very quickly that she is like the best organizer in the world. And so we have that on our side. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, and so that was, I credit Caitlin for most of the establishment actually, (laughs) because she was like, we have these amazing, uh, well, in the beginning, it was an, uh, a spreadsheet, you know, helping us work out what tasks we had to do. We quickly moved on to Airtable instead, which we're both big advocates of now. But yeah, it was just like uh, setting up anything, even though it was a hobby for us, like we really knew from the very start that it was a passion project and we were both on board with that. We still did all the right things, yeah, as far as establishing a business because we knew that a small amount of money would be trickling in to cover the costs of, you know, having a website and all this kind of thing. And to be able to do that, we had to have a bank account. And so to have a bank account, we had to have a registered business number and all of these kind of things. So we did go through that process. Thankfully in Australia, it's pretty easy actually to set up a partnership. Um, It's not very costly. I know that does vary in different parts of the world, but for us, it wasn't too bad. So that was lucky. So yeah, we did those things. Basically, we just literally wrote a checklist. Like, what do we have to do? We researched. I think we spoke to a couple of people that we knew that were hosting a podcast as well. We got a couple of tips and and then us being us, we just dived right in and tried it out. <laughs> so and now you have this incredibly successful, you know, business. It's amazing. And because you guys have a membership too, right? Yeah. So basically the way that it, the way we run it is we have our, our club members. So they get, you know, extended episodes. There's a mastermind group. There's bonus, you know, videos, workshops, discounts, that kind of thing. And then we do workshops and courses and run events that are open to everyone. So club members get a bunch of bonuses basically. And that, that's obviously an ongoing membership, but then we also have, have, products and everything available to anyone who's interested in learning more about pet photography. And we have our International Pet Photographer of the Year Awards. Oh, wow. So we run those annually. It was the first uh, pet photography specific awards. It's huge. We're on our fourth year, I think, running that. And we get thousands and thousands of entries all around the world. It's We're really proud of that, actually. It's a beautiful competition. Just because it's it's free to enter, so there is no barrier of entry. So we see pet photographers and people from all around the world in all different stages of their photography entering their photos. And yeah, I, I really love that. Anyway, that's just a side thing. That's another thing that we do. <laughs> if you can't tell, we both kind of like to keep busy. <laughs> and so no. we're always adding things. But, <laughs> but the awards is something that, as Caitlin said, we're both really proud of because nothing like that existed before. And still, I don't know if there are any awards uh, now that are free to enter for pet photographers. We have also different categories. So you can choose just to enter like action or just pets and their people. Although we recommend everybody to enter all four categories because that's the way you're going to accumulate enough points to be pet of the year. But also it's um, separated into emerging and professional. And so that really encourages new photographers to enter too. And then they get to be inspired by seeing all the work that comes through of the shortlisted photographers and everything. Um, And actually some of like our previous past winners have, it's really helped them and made a difference. Last year, by the way, like the awards ended up in New York Times, the Telegraph, 
the Daily Mail. I mean, it went completely nuts with media coverage last year, which we're like super excited about because our tiny little industry that's really growing exponentially to end up in big uh, media like that is really exciting. And that's because of the people that enter, you know, the photographers that put themselves out there and enter their their work. And, um, and then, I mean, who doesn't want to see photos of dogs or horses as well get entered or cats or can be any domesticated animal, any pet. So, yeah, that's really exciting. We're really proud of that. And, and we've been watching it grow every year. And as Caitlin uh, said, from all over the world as well, I mean, developing countries that you would not expect to see pet photographers and uh, and they're there. I mean, the proof is the fact that they're they're entering these awards. So we're really excited about that and the growth of the industry that's proven through that. That is so cool. So cool. So I want to talk about, you know, for, for our audience, looking at this niche, figuring out if it's something that would be a good fit for them. So there's a couple different topics that we talked about. If you guys don't mind telling me who shouldn't be a pet photographer, because I'm super interested in that. And then I'd also love to hear how to incorporate pets in, in studio offerings, if that's possible. Yeah, sure. I'll, um, I'll jump in with who shouldn't be a pet photographer first. Oh, look out. (laughs) (laughs) No, just, oh my goodness. If you thought that photography in general requires patience, you really, you have to have a lot of patience, at least a big love, if not understanding for dog behavior or animal behavior. I mean, you could be an equine specific photographer. Let's assume for the sake of this conversation, because what most pet photographers end up specializing in is dogs specifically. So we'll assume dogs, but yeah, you you really have to love dogs because you are going to get covered in slobber. You're going to get muddy. They're not all well-behaved at all. (laughs) These are not perfectly trained dogs. They're they're people's pets. So they can't often sit and stay. You feel pretty lucky when they do. Although side note, you just end up getting a good retoucher who can do your leash removals or doing them yourself, but that gets time consuming. Anyway, I digress. (laughs) But yeah, having a real love for dogs is really important not only for your own sanity with the shoots, but also so you can actually communicate with your clients. Your clients will know if you aren't loving their dog. They will. So if you don't have that patience there, then it's really obvious. I've had clients in the past who have had shoots with photographers who weren't pet specific or weren't doing it for the love of it, I guess, you know, and they've complained like, oh, in the last shoot, the photographer got really annoyed because he wasn't sitting or, or they tried to get my puppy into this pose and it wasn't working. And then we just got frustrated and we had to give up, like that kind of thing. So your clients will know and you'll go crazy if you don't love dogs. That's my biggest tip is don't, don't do this as just a, oh, that could be an interesting little side genre that might make a bit of money. You have to have that passion there as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, what Caitlin said is exactly right. I've also had many experiences like Caitlin just described of clients that were actually really nervous, or I would even go as far as saying almost afraid to have a shoot, a new pet photography shoot because of previous experiences, you know, with a non-animal loving photographer that just shouldn't be offering pet photography. The other thing to consider that Caitlin didn't mention yet is 
if you're wanting to do in studio, just keep in mind, and this is not saying that you cannot do it, but just keep in mind how you're going to organize logistically doing that, especially if you photograph other genres. Like if you've got a newborn baby coming in and uh, you've just had a dog shoot, like logistically, how's that work? How's it going to work? Back-to-back shoots, like because often you'll find if if you start putting out to the world that you're a professional pet photographer and people can trust you to work with their dog, then you're going possibly to attract clients who have dogs that they can't photograph themselves for a variety of reasons. And one of those could be because they're, you know, they have behavioral issues or they may be there, you know, aggressive towards other dogs or leash aggressive. And that's something you have to consider if you're doing, especially in studio shoots where you might have a crossover of pets coming and going. So just keep that in mind. Can you logistically organize this with your business model? And if you're going on location, that's obviously something to keep in mind too, but that's not really about not being able to do it. Just uh, just something to keep in mind that just came up. Yeah, but Caitlin's hit the nail on the head with with that about just must love pets. That's the key. (laughs) But then... The number of photographers who try photographing pets and they don't just love pets. I mean, like, I know that's a basic answer, but it really is very important. And also, it's very important if you want to photograph horses as well. Most people, well, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say that, but a lot of people do understand if you want to photograph dogs, at least basic reading of dog behavior. And if you don't, it's pretty easy to learn about. And you will quickly learn, especially if you volunteer at a shelter or something like that to learn. Horses are a different animal again. And um, if you're photographing show horses or, you know, people who compete with their horse, you really want to be involved in that industry because all that, that uh, being involved with horses because horse people will know 100% if you don't know anything about horses and they won't trust you with their sometimes 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 of horse. So definitely keep that in mind if you're going into horses. It's more than must love horses. If you're working in the competing horses arena, if I use a pun, um, yeah, then it's, then it's uh, yeah. And it actually also goes for show dogs too and agility dogs too. If you want to photograph show dogs, you need to, like I never photograph show dogs because I don't show my dog. <laughs> She's a mixed breed. Uh, but I would not be able to because somebody who's in the show dog uh, circle, they want their dog photographed typically in a in a, a typical show dog stance, and I have no idea how to do that. Of course, if they want their dog photographed as a pet in the pet kind of vibe, then that's something I can do. So just keep in mind what you know and what you don't know and have a go, practice, and then, you, then you're good. I hadn't considered the differences between, like, photographing pets versus photographing like show dogs, agility dogs, working dogs. Do you guys ever like do working dogs? Yes. Even like super, super hard photographing working dogs because they usually listen to one person only. Right. And they have very specific commands as well. My family are all farmers. And so I've tried to photograph their working dogs a bunch of times and they will not listen to me. And I mean, I've been a pet photographer for a long time. I know how to work with dogs and get every dog to listen to me. But their commands, they don't know, like they're not taught to sit or stay typically, you know. Right. They have other commands, you know. And like my cousin will communicate with his dog purely with a different type of whistle. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot whistle that, that way, you know. So I actually need my cousin 
beside me to direct the dog, which is something that I'm uncomfortable with because I'm so used to being able to be in charge, you know, of the session. So working with working dogs is very interesting and it really pushes you creatively if you're photographing them in their working environment. But of course, if you're photographing them as a family pet, then that's a different ballgame again. So right. that goes back to everything that you know. Yeah. Did you mean farm dogs actually, or did you mean working dogs like uh, well, police working, or? like uh, police dogs, and then working dogs on the farm too? I can't. I I can. Well, I say I control my dogs. My Aussie is the one that listens to the different whistles. My other dogs couldn't care less about what I have to say. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, working dogs in regards to you know herd dogs, and then I didn't know if maybe you all worked with like police dogs or service animals, and what that can be. Yeah. That could be like. I do quite a lot of work with service dogs, actually. Oh. I've been working with an organisation that pairs service dogs with kids for eight years now. So <laughs> those are beautiful sessions. And if I said that it requires a lot of patience to work with pets, <laughs> these these are next level, but the reward is huge. Like These these sessions, the parents have never mind not getting photos of their dogs before, often haven't ever been able to get professional photos of their children before. So yeah, it's a whole other ball game. But in those situations, when you're working with service dogs, part a big part of what the dog's, you know, importance to the to the family is what they do for their work as well. So I like to have a combination of portraits, you know, with them in their jacket and doing their thing. You know, I'm a little bit further away so we can capture them working and being that assistance dog there. And then we take the jacket off and we can capture their relationship together and sort of more of those close, snuggly, wonderful portraits as well. But, yeah, those are really, really rewarding and very difficult sessions. (laughs) I I can appreciate that. We had a family session and I wanted our two, we have four dogs. So I wanted two of our dogs and the the other two are lost cause. It's just not going to happen. But the, the two that I, that listen really well, I wanted them in this session and trying to get them and my toddler to like do a photo shoot was challenging. Did you hire a photographer? No, we hired a, we hired a family photographer. So I would love to hire a wish you guys were here in the states i would love to hire an actual (laughs) pet photographer because the four dogs we have now are really are really special to us and um i'd love to get some photos of of them but two of them are just my um, ears pricked up when you said two of them are a lost cause that's my (laughs) yeah i saw that (laughs) no dog is a lost cause but that's it's just like yes give me that challenge please Matt, because I would love to prove you wrong that's my all-time favorite thing when a client goes like oh I've or for a group photo with all their pets together that's oh that that'll never happen and obviously like it will because when you pet photography specific like there's I've never had a dog we couldn't photograph but yeah that's my favorite thing when the client goes I would (laughs) be able to get them all in I so wish you guys could have seen her face when I said that because both of them just like, it was like the ears went forward and the lights, the eyes lit up. I was like, oh, that was, (laughs) that was a key word for both of them. 
Yes, it was. We've heard that a lot. You know, you've got to remember that we go to, you know, trade shows or not even like even just like events where lots of people walk past and often they stop because they see our work and they've never thought of pet photography before perhaps. And they're like, wow, these, you know, these photos are great. And then I, I'm there or okay, whoever it is, the pet photographer is there saying, um, you know, tell me about your pet. And then there's always, you know, quite a big percentage of people that will reply like, oh, you would never get a photo like that of my pet. So we're very used to hearing this. (laughs) (laughs) But we're scaring your audience off, I think, Jen, because we're talking about like the pet challenges. uh, (laughs) Yes, exactly. But actually it doesn't have to be that hard. So please don't be like afraid to get started in pet photography. If you do genuinely love animals, you're not afraid to learn something new Uh, as in, you know, give yourself a good understanding of how to read, at least start with dog behavior and and start with introducing dogs, then definitely, you know, our little niche is growing and we're loving seeing so many new people come through and give this a crack if they really love pets, obviously. And uh, people are really, a lot of photographers around the world now, as we said earlier, are, are doing really well with introducing introducing pets to their offerings, like expanding into that or switching entirely to become a specific pet photographer, just like Caitlin and I. When Kirsty was saying we are scaring you off, let's share a couple of tips of what you do when you are first starting. I know it can be intimidating if you haven't photographed pets before to know like how on earth am, am I going to get that dog to sit still that the client has said that can't sit still. So my my tips would be one, don't put the time limit on your sessions when you're first starting out because you won't have a clear idea of how long it is going to take you to get those shots. And honestly, it's going to take you longer when you're first starting out because you need to get that practice of what are the shots that I'm going to get and and maneuvering the pet into the positions that you want. Two, bring heaps and heaps of treats and keep them on yourself. Don't have the client holding the treats because then it's really difficult to get the dog looking at you if you've got two people or more people handing out treats. And obviously the dog is going to be more inclined to be looking at their human than you. So you keep the treats on. Three, get yourself a little repertoire of squeakers, balls, noisemakers, uh, my tip would be just jump on Amazon and actually hunting noisemakers work really well. So like duck noises, that kind of thing. And they're really quite small. So you can just, you know, have them in your pocket, save balls because dogs get a little bit over obsessed. So you want to save a ball in case you need it, but don't bring it out too early in the session. And the last tip would be to keep the dog on lead. It is so much easier to get them into whatever positions you want, and then you remove the leash later digitally. When I first started and Kirsty was the same, um, we did those leash removals ourselves. Over the years, that's a really time-consuming retouch work, so we end up outsourcing and we, we do recommend anyone who's doing a lot of pet shoots to outsource that sort of stuff from their editing workflow because it's just, you know, time-consuming, uncreative thing. But, yeah, at the start, definitely keep the leash on but remove it digitally because that's those are the shots that the client is going, oh, my dog would never sit still like all the photos of the dogs in your portfolio. <laughs> Kirstie's nodding. And, yeah, I just end up saying, don't worry, 
95% of the dogs I photograph can't sit still. All we need is a 500th of a second of your dog sitting still. So we use the leash, uh, use a little squeaker, and then in that split second, they might look at the camera and you've got the shot. Those would be my little tips. So I want to add one extra one to that, Caitlin, which is something that you, if you're already an established photographer, photographing other genres, you've already done this before. And I want you not to shortcut this part now that you're, you're introducing pets. And that is practice before you have paying clients. Practice, practice, practice. I photographed my own dog for her whole life. So at that point, I guess three or four years all the time. That's how I started in pets, in fact, because um, my boss at the previous studio, the studio I was working at recognized that all I ever photographed was my own dog or his cats that I stole out to the studio. And uh, so he encouraged me to open a pet line for his studio. So start on your own dog. But by the way, they're the hardest photographing your own dog because you can't hold the lead and photograph them at the same time. When you go to the ground, they want to run to you like, a, you know, it is hard to practice in your own dog, but you can start there and then reach out to friends or go to a shelter. If you can go to a shelter or, you know, rescue center, that will help a lot because you're going to find dogs that have a whole range of personalities. So you get to start learning how to read that behavior too because the the volunteers at the shelter will be like sort of almost giving you little hints and tips without it meaning to as well. So, you know, spending time around dogs like that, even if you're not photographing there, um, is helpful, but also photographing them is good too. So just like you did when you started, if you were shooting weddings, you know, probably you second shot for a while. If you do newborns, probably you did a few portfolio building shoots first before you paid do the same thing for pets because sometimes I see people just, you know, I'm a family photographer. I know how to photograph full stop. And so they just straight away start charging by adding a pet. And that's okay if you're only, if it's a family shoot and then you're just adding the pet for one extra photo with the pet, then that's okay. But if you're charging somebody to do a full photo shoot of their pet, you need to be able to deliver on that. And what are you going to do if you come across one of the situations that we spoke of before? So, Practice makes perfect like everything. And I really encourage you to just get out there and practice a few first and make sure that you actually enjoy it. Realize that you're going to be laying in the mud on your stomach a lot of the times. And you might not like that. You might not even, you know, physically, that might not work for you because you have to be able to, you know, get up and down and get inside out and back to front and hang upside down to get the the shot sometimes. And that might not be great for you. So try it out. On the other hand, you might be like us and you might fall in love with it and ditch all other photography and go for it. And that'd be great too. So just practice. (laughs) Awesome. So when someone decides to first start out with pet photography, you've given some really awesome tips on getting started. And I think reaching out to current clients that have pets is probably the easiest segue into it. However, what what are some other avenues or areas where they could, you know, start looking and finding clients? It looks like I'm taking this one. <laughs> I was just waiting to see if Caitlin was going to do it. Sorry. All right. Well, kickstart it anyway. I would start by building relationships because this is my thing, I guess, um, with people who have your audience already and finding ways that you can give back to them. So that might be a rescue. So I did my very first campaign was a, a calendar for the local rescue in my hometown. 
if you guys already do like third-party promotion, it was basically the same system, but the money instead went to uh, this rescue shelter, you guys would call that in the US, I think. That worked really well. So a fundraiser calendar with the rescue worked really well, sending letters, inviting people to be involved in this kind of thing. That was a great Kickstarter for me. It gave me some like authority as well because my name was against a calendar and I, you know, formed a very good relationship with this rescue, which is great for future marketing and this kind of thing as well. You can take that one step further and uh, do a book, which is what Caitlin can probably tell you more about because uh, she has a self-publishing program to teach you through that. I'm not sure when Caitlin would recommend introducing that as a marketing campaign. Uh, Caitlin, maybe you want to chip in. And- yeah, I'm a big advocate for doing doing a book for any genre, actually, but it works really well with pet photography. And it is how I moved from part-time to full-time with Ragamuffin. So my first book project, I've since published five books, but my first one really got that ball rolling. So I would recommend if you're going to do any sort of publishing program, whether publishing a book or a calendar, anything like that, where you you want to have a relationship with a rescue organization or shelter, which I mean, I love fundraising projects. So I think I think that really helps. But yeah, first you want that relationship there. So it does help if you've already been volunteering and doing some of their adoption profile photos first. As we said before, as Kirsty mentioned, that's a really great way to get practice anyway, and you're giving back at the same time. So pets who are in these shelters need photos to get adopted um, because heaps of people just find their profiles online now, and that's how, how dogs get you know awareness of that uh, up for adoptions. So anyway, you can start by doing adoption profiles. Not 100% necessary, though, because if you're contacting an organisation with a proposal for this is how I think we can fundraise, you know, however much money, thousand, two thousand potentially dollars for you, then they are going to be, you know, pretty open <laughs> to hearing about that proposal versus just getting contacted from you to say like, oh, hey, I'm a pet photographer. Could I maybe, you know, advertise my services with you? Pet photography is getting more and more popular now. So a lot of shelters do actually get quite inundated with requests from professional pet photographers and and they don't need us all the time, which is great. But it does mean that you want a sort of something a little bit different so that you can be giving back to them. So a fundraising project like a book is a really great way because you can actually be giving them funds rather than just sharing photos of their pets. So a fundraising project, you contact the charity works really well because then you're accessing their audience as well. So not only are you telling your own audience, your existing audience, hey, I'm looking for dogs in this city for this book idea, scruffy dogs in Melbourne, pulling all scruffy dogs in Melbourne if you're interested in getting involved in this project. But then you're also accessing the audience of the shelter who are obviously also all pet lovers. And then bonus, it makes for for, uh, great media interest because we're ticking all the boxes. It's a local interest story. It's dogs. It's beautiful photography, local business, charity. Media loves all of that sort of stuff. So we get a nice little uh, combination there. But, yeah, 
I, I love the self-publishing strategy as a way to really boost your business. And I don't think that you have to be in business for a long time to make it work successfully because you're partnering with that charity. So you don't have to have the existing base. Um, all you really need to do is be confident with the photography side of things. Although, side note, if you want to get a lot of really good practice, really quick, a book project, as long as you have the basics in there, it will make you really proficient because you are doing, it's it's that quantity work. So you're doing so many shoots and lots of selling sessions as well. So it's also a really great way to um, throw yourself in the deep end there if you are new to this. The other thing I would do if I already, if you guys are that are listening are already established photographers, so you're a family photographer, a newborn photographer, a wedding photographer, whatever, you already have an established database of clients, which you mentioned earlier, Jen, that you could tap into those. I would probably go one step further than that. And rather than just directly contacting the client and inviting them for a shoot, I would probably do something to bring the people together instead. Like maybe I would host a workshop, which I've done in the past, like how to photograph your pet workshop, which is nice and fun as well. That way you're showing people your skills, you're demonstrating as you shoot and teach and they trust you a bit more. And also you're getting the people back into your studio or into a space that you're that you're using or even the local park or something, which is nice and fun. If you don't want to run a workshop. Oh, also, by the way, Caitlin, I realized, just realized now, did the same thing teaching a workshop, but virtually during lockdown. And you've since done it out of lockdown too, Caitlin, haven't you? Yeah, it's a really great way, actually. You would think teaching a workshop why would I teach my clients how to photograph their pets and then they're going to hire me? But it works the opposite way because a workshop is just a really great way to one, show that you're an expert, you know what you're talking about, and two, show your examples of photography without it feeling like a hard sell. Like Kirsty and I both recommend within the workshop that you have some sort of special offer for the attendees and we've found that they are quite excited to take you up on that offer because they've just spent, you know, an hour, two hours trusting you, getting to know you, you're helping them out. It's a fun environment. And they've seen your incredible photography <laughs> because you can just naturally show examples of your photos, which are going to be better than the, the photos that you're teaching them how to take on their iPhone. So yeah, a workshop is a, a great, great way. And the other thing you can do, by the way, when I mentioned like bring people together, it doesn't have to be you shooting or teaching or, or this kind of thing. It can be anything. In Australia, we have Cupcake Day in August. It's a fundraiser nationwide for our like a national authority for animal welfare. And that would be a really great event. For example, you have plenty of events all over the world that you could tap into, but that kind of event would be great. You could host like, you know, cupcake day party at your studio or at the local park. If you don't have a studio, bring your pet, although be careful with that because, you know, you, you want to make sure that, the pets that are coming um, are all going to be okay together. But, yeah, I mean, so be careful of the numbers, et cetera. But even without the pet, you know, you're encouraging animal lovers to come back into your studio. Maybe they're going to then book a dog photo shoot because you're going to have samples up or you're going to have a special offer for a pet shoot on the day. But even if they don't, you're a something else photographer too. So they might just need to reconnect and end up booking that new family shoot that then or that engagement shoot or whatever kind of other shoot you do too. So it's kind of a win-win because you either get them, you get them in, which is great just for general networking. You might get them as your new genre pets 
or you could just get them back as normal clients. They might bring a friend who loves pets too. So that could be another thing. I mean, anything really just to be where your audience is. And if you already have or bring your audience to you, and if you already have an established, you know, client list, then I would start there for sure. And if not, then go where they are, go where the people are that you want to photograph. So any events that are for dogs, I mean, go there, be involved, find out how you can get involved in in that circle, that community, and just like any marketing, basically. We um, have, Jen, um, if you, the cupcake day thing <laughs> made me think of it, we've actually got a list of all the pet-specific holidays. There's like 75 random oh my goodness throughout the year. I'll send you the link if your listeners want to download that because it's a great way to everyone advertise on Valentine's Day and Halloween, kind of Christmas, that kind of thing. But there are heaps of really random like slobbery dog day or um, (laughs) black cat awareness day, that kind of thing. So, yeah, we can have that download for your audience if you fancy. It's a great way to get some, you know, different marketing strategies out there. Yes, It's a free PDF download. Yes, please. I um, I mean, I would use that on my own social media just because I'm such an animal lover. <laughs> awesome. You guys have shared so many incredible tips and just options to get started. I never, ever would have considered doing like a book idea. I like that's so brilliant, especially because like you said, it it would catch media interest and it kind of ticks all the boxes and giving back in charity. And, um, and I love in-person events. Like if I, I would spend more time in in in-person events than in my business some weeks, like (laughs) I love the networking events that that's an awesome way to, you know, help build that niche. If that's a, an area you want to go into. You might've noticed that we, uh, stuck to very like, um, networking based, uh, marketing ideas, don't get me wrong, there is plenty of room for others as well. Um, I, we just didn't mention social media and blogging and email merchant lists because you guys already know those things. You're already doing yep. those and you can easily adapt that to be uh, more pet friendly uh, for sure. But getting, you know, the cogs turning for what are some ideas that are really, that really work well for pets was our, you know, that's what we want, wanted to share. So definitely, you know, don't be afraid also to, social media and email nurture series, they all work really well too in conjunction with a proper marketing plan and, and uh, you know, all the things. So, yeah. I'm a huge advocate for, for relationship building. So I, I really enjoyed hearing that that's such an integral part of building this niche is I think relationship building is often overlooked when you talk about photography outside of weddings, like, or or maybe even branding, like family photography, newborn photography, pet photography, you know, it's almost overlooked. Like I don't need to build relationships because, you know, I'm not building relationships with vendors that can refer me. And I think building relationships for other types of photography is often overlooked. So I really love that perspective. We'll find that, you know, even though we've been doing this for a while now, and we do have people inquiring who specifically thought, you know, I want a pet photographer, I'm going to find a pet photographer. But there's a there's a general portion of my clients who didn't have any idea that pet photography was even a thing before they found out about me because of one of these relationships that I have, you know, with another pet business or with a charity, that kind of thing. So there is still an aspect of what we're doing 
even though for Kirsty and I, it feels like, doesn't everyone know about pet photography? It's our entire world. Um, but there's still an aspect of what we're doing, which is educating clients that this service exists. So having that relationship there with other businesses and other people as a way to introduce that it's even a possibility to your potential clients is really important still. I often compare, and this is going to probably be like a bit of first, at first a bit of a shock, but I often compare when it comes to marketing pet photography with boudoir photography. So stay Mm, with me (laughs) because... No, there's no lingerie on dogs, but um, the the reason I compare it is because if you think of newborns, that's an event, you know, you either get that newborn shoot in the first eight, 12 days, however long you guys shoot newborns in, or that's it. There's no chance to get a newborn shoot again. You can have a sitter session, you can have a one-year-old, you can have three-year-old, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but you're not going to have those newborn shots. So that creates the sense of urgency itself. The same thing for wedding, sense of urgency. You don't have a wedding shoot, too bad. You missed it. You're never going to have wedding photos again, unless they're fake. (laughs) But boudoir, boudoir, you have to decide, I want to do this and I'm going to make the call today. Otherwise, it's I'll do that next week, next month, next year, when I lose weight, when I feel good about myself, when I get a promotion, when I have a new outfit, blah, 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 blah. It's always next week, next month year and pets is exactly the same unless they want a puppy shoot in which case there's a sense of urgency like the newborn or it's a end of life session we usually call it which is when we know the dogs don't have much time left or cats or horse or whatever animal then most of our clients if their pet is aged between one and say 12 then it's going to be a thing where they're thinking i'm going to do that next week next month next year And sometimes, unfortunately, they never get to do it because they run out of time. And that sucks. (laughs) And so, like, that's happened to me. I've been, like, in tears in the middle of a market because I ran into a friend from school who said, oh, I was going to book a photo shoot with you for my dog, but this happened first and they don't have the dog anymore. I mean, it's horrible. And I think, like, what could I have done to encourage that client not to put it off for one more uh, one more week, one more month. I know it's a horrible uh, topic. I can see you guys both being like, no, let's not think about it. But it's reality for us. This is something we see time and time again for pet photographers. And that's our goal usually is to find a way to give that client a reason to pick up the phone today or make the booking today. And so something like um, a book project works really well for that because people say, I want to get involved with that. And they have a limited time to get involved. That's why they work really well. And that's why I compare pets to boudoir, (laughs) even though at first it sounds like a bit crazy. So yeah, if you're a boudoir photographer, then you probably already know, you know, lots of, you probably already have lots of ideas of how you can get that phone ringing and bums on seats. But yeah, newborns and wedding photographers, this might all be uh, new to you because you're not used to creating a sense of urgency. So that's probably why we suggested those kind of promotions or campaigns where where it really creates that sense of urgency sorry to make you guys upset (laughs) (laughs) no it's I've got one this afternoon do you yeah Mm. so they're really bittersweet sessions the end of life one because it's you you know that you're capturing something really really important and they're so full of emotion these sessions so it's it's kind of beautiful 
to witness, but then obviously also devastating. So, yeah, it's the sad part of what we do, but also a really important and really beautiful part of what we do. We just go home and cry and hug our own dogs afterwards. <laughs> I'm sure I can. And so we try to give them a reason to book before that. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's the goal so that they have the, the really happy memories and yeah. you don't have to suffer all those tears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, Yeah, I, uh, I lost a horse this winter and um, it was very unexpected. And I only had him for six months, but he was someone just... He's just a soul horse, and I just I didn't have time. So I'm sorry, thanks. This is the second podcast episode in a row I've cried on. So this is a I'm on a roll over here. <laughs> <laughs> so I I love that I love that comparison, and I and I think it's so true. I think it's we're just gonna stay on this topic for a second because one of the things that we do get caught up in is thinking we have time. And whether it's with our animals or, or even people in our life, like I, ref- I won't say I refused. I didn't take a, a selfie, just a selfie with my dad. He came up here to visit for my birthday and I just gotten off work and I wasn't looking all that great. And I was just like, you know what? It's my, you know, it's my birthday weekend. We're going to have plenty of pictures. And he died the next day. I never got that picture. And I think we spend so much time thinking we have to, even with our pets, thinking that we we don't have time because we have this going on or, you know, they're going to be here for three, four, five, six more years, or they're just a puppy, or we don't always get that time. There's always things that are going to come up. And if this is something that's important to you as a consumer, as someone who loves pets, like we do, because, oh my goodness, we obviously all love our animals, you know, do, do it now. And as a photographer, you know, obviously like this is a tough topic, but creating that sense of urgency through a book by doing, you know, something special to give back to your community and also to those people, I think is, is really, really special. And also I just, I love end of life sessions. I can't read about them or look at them because they're so emotional and I'm a big old baby, but it's incredible, incredible work. And there is, there is a lot of admiration I hold for any photographer that can that can do it because I would be sitting here like can you guys smile for just a second <laughs> like I can't but can you <laughs> like it would be awful I would sound like the gingerbread man from Shrek the entire time <laughs> I the good thing is I'm not gonna judge you for crying <laughs> so it, it's okay if that happens you can just yeah they're emotional sessions but I bet. as you said they are beautiful but you can just focus on, uh, you know, it's very hard. You can't put this kind of conversation out there to your client. You can't say, hey, guys, book me before it's too late. I mean, <laughs> right. boom, bad idea, obviously. So we have to get a little bit more creative. And so that's why the ideas we spoke of earlier, marketing ideas, work so well because nobody's saying anywhere like book now before it's too late. All you're doing is giving them a reason to book now, not even talking about that before it's too late part. You know, that's why it works really well because you don't have to put that message out there. You get the clients in and then hopefully that means that, you know, they then have those, or it does mean they'll then have those images of their dog at that moment instead of at the last two minutes as a as a end-of-life session, which are really tough on everybody basically, although we do 
often have repeat clients. And so you can photograph the dog as a puppy and then as part of your book project or your calendar project or something else. And then they'll also ask you to do an end of life session. And that's really hard because you really know them well by then. But anyway, again, we're scaring you guys off. Don't be afraid of our uh, beautiful uh, genre. There's plenty of room for you. And I, yeah, I didn't do an end of life session for quite some time into my business years. And it was a repeat client, in fact, the first one. So, you know, that was tough. But yeah, uh, don't be be scared off from all of this talk, (laughs) all the challenges. So, okay. So I, I, I want to wrap up our episode with like Caitlin share one photo shoot that was like just the coolest experience, whether it was like this really cool dog or it was the relationship, like what made it, what made it really special? Ooh, you're putting me on the spot. I am. Um, I'm really good at that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What has been one of my favorite sessions? Oh my goodness, your life changing <laughs> one where you met your wife. <laughs> no. <laughs> no you know, um, it was one of the end of life ones because, it, as I said, it is weirdly bittersweet. So it was a repeat climb. Yeah. We both cried and we, I knew that we would, that I wouldn't want to do another session right afterwards so I'd allowed you know for the afternoon um no time limits we really took our time so usually a session's about an hour for me unless it's cursed (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I didn't have any any restrictions on this um we shot for hours the sun was setting and it was just beautiful to (laughs) sorry (laughs) Um, to witness, <laughs> I don't know, I'm emotional because we've just been talking about it all. Um, it was just really beautiful to witness that relationship between them. Now, this it's beautiful in any session because what we're doing as pet photographers is asking the client to put down their phone, turn off their brain and really just focus in for a moment on... <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting cute. Um, to really focus in on a moment on on their dog and on what makes that relationship really special and everything that they love about their dog. So it's that moment in any session when they're down on the ground with their dog in this big teddy bear embrace and I'll be further off with a long lens, you know, I'm shooting on my 200 mils to really give them the space there. They're not posing. They're not looking at the camera. Um, we're not doing treats and tricks and all that kind of thing. It's usually towards the end of the session. The dog is tired. The dog has just had the best afternoon of their life. <laughs> They've just been told that they're a good boy nonstop and been showered with all the treats and gone on an adventure and explored a new park and done zoomies and all that kind of thing. So now they're tired and it's just a dog and their person sitting on the ground loving each other and I'm shooting from further back and capturing that and oh my goodness it just makes your heart swell but yeah this specific session which I'd known the dog for eight years photographed him multiple times over the years and the client was just sitting there saying goodbye and amazing just 
so beautiful to be a part of that. So yeah, that's my favorite session. So Kirsty, do you have a a favorite session or um or maybe a moment where you're like, oh my goodness, like this is absolutely the niche I want to go into. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm trying to decide which one of those to answer. And I think I'll go go with the first a favorite session. I have many. I could tell you so many. Like I worked with the Australian Veterinary Behavioural Service for quite a while, photographing. They're the specialist vets in behaviour that train other vets how to deal with vet, uh, animal behaviour. So they're your go-to in Australia and uh, they do speak all over the world, in fact. Anyway, if a dog or a cat, but mostly a dog, a dog ends up going to their clinic, that dog's on its last chance. It's like otherwise they'd be put down, basically. and. Mm. It can be for various reasons. It could be hum- humane reasons that they're wanting to that they would consider putting it down. For example, dogs that are incredibly anxious. Some of the stories I've heard is just, I mean, a tiny Jack Russell that can jump all the way to the top of the door frame and bite the door frame out of stress. Like extreme, extreme stress that this dog cannot be happy. I mean, this dog is just on edge all the time. I mean, they're on medication and all the things. They're trying everything, you know. Anyway, so I worked with them for quite a while. I've done, I think it was 27 shoots for their clients in quite a short period of time. Stories from those shoots just like really changed me as a photographer. I really learned dog behavior doing those shoots and how to work with any dog, you know, that was amazing. But still the most powerful, gee, there's two very close ones together, but I would say the most powerful shoot I ever did was actually for Caitlin mentioned earlier that she is the photographer for an organization that has service dogs for children with disability. And actually one of their dogs uh, was uh, homed in Adelaide, my city. And so Caitlin passed on my details to this organization and I did the shoot. So I've only ever done the one. Caitlin mentioned she's been working with them for eight years. So I'm sure she has a lot of amazing stories like this one. And I've only done this one. And I tell you what, I'll never forget the session. It was so beautiful. And it did just like Caitlin said, you know, images with the work, uh, the service dog with his jacket on and in work mode. And then the the mom removed the the jacket from the dog. And then the dog knows that he's allowed to be a, he's allowed to be a, a domesticated dog. Then, you know, they really switch. And so then there was the connection and I got to photograph like that change, which was incredible for me to witness. And really, I had to really push myself. You notice that for both of us, our favorite ones are the ones where it's a, it's a challenging situation emotionally, because that's what we're doing as photographers, capturing emotion, whether it's in a human or a pet or whatever it is. Anyway, I had to work really hard because this uh, young boy, you know, could not make eye contact, you know, couldn't wear shoes, like extreme like sensory anyway I'm now I'm getting emotional <laughs> all three of us on this call anyway it was an amazing session but the thing that was the most beautiful to me was I showed the mom the images and she cried because it was the only there was one photo in the whole set the little boy was smiling at the camera and it was the only photo she's ever seen and knows exists of her little boy smiling at the camera. I know this is supposed to be pet photo, pet sessions that I'm telling you about, but 
he was smiling because he was just playing in the park with his dog. His dog allowed him to be that relaxed. And that really shows the power of animals, I think. And that's why we're pet photographers, because we know the power of pets, you know. And to have that privilege to be the one to be able to witness that and capture it for the mom that, you know, when she told me, I was like shaking and I was so emotional. I couldn't believe that this mom now had this precious memory of her son and their dog that she thought was impossible. You know, that's like literally a life-changing thing for them. And yeah, that would definitely have to be my favorite experience as a pet photographer because it was really the after it wasn't even the shoot because we didn't even know in the moment that we'd kept because it was a split second right little smile you know so in the moment we had no idea that we captured this moment and it wasn't until you know she viewed the images that that we knew that so yeah that would be my favorite experience as a pet photographer but honestly I have so many I mean so so many I mean especially from the those shoots I did for that Australian Veterinary Behavioral Service I mean plenty out of that, plenty of rescue stories of dogs that have been rescued because of their photos. I mean, so many. Working with pets, guys, it's the best. <laughs> um, Runner-up, second favourite shoot, though. I got to photograph wombats once. That was awesome. <laughs> Not emotional. Oh, my goodness, really that's cool. so fun. <laughs> I photographed dingoes and I photographed a crocodile. That was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh like my goodness. Stories, but also, you just get to photograph some really cool animals. Like, we can just keep one upping each other in fact. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to be quiet and y'all just keep doing that because this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm so glad you said that because I meant to ask you earlier or, you know, ask you both earlier if, you know, what's the most unique animal that you've ended up doing a session with. So wombats are just so stinking cute. Oh, wombats. It was amazing. They just kept wanting to chew my shoelaces off and there were just wombats running all over. It was really cool. <laughs> and I've always had an obsession with dingoes. I don't know why. I've wanted a dingo for the longest, but apparently that's probably not a great idea. <laughs> no. no, no, these were not pets, by the way. And I'm sure the wombat was I a figured. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, um, yeah, the dingoes was really fascinating because uh, I learned a lot about dingoes that I didn't know because, you know, you cannot photograph them like a dog because they're not. I mean, at, right. by any stretch, they're not a domesticated dog. So anyway, we're really going overboard now. But, yeah, you if you work with rescues then and wildlife rescue as well, then you will definitely find yourself photographing much more than the family dog, uh, which is pretty special um, as well. But I would recommend starting with a dog. <laughs> if you have a dog or a cat, uh, there are lots of specialized cat photographers now, although cats are hard. You don't want to take them outside imagine. of their environment. Yeah. Or horses. If you're a horse person, then that's a good place to start too. But yeah, maybe um, stick with one so that you can start to learn that animal behavior. And, you know, it needs to be a bit more than tail between the legs is back. I mean, you definitely need to understand a bit more than that and just go in with a plan and, um, be prepared that it's going to all hit the fan. <laughs> that plan's probably not going to go to go as you anticipated. But to get started, we do have a, a few free downloads on the Pet Photographers Club. But one that we haven't mentioned that probably is a really good place to start if you're already a, a photographer, but you're wanting to start with photographing pets would be our um, shot list. So there's a, how many images in that? I'm not even sure. Uh, 20. There's 10. Oh, 10, sorry, excuse me. Yeah, I think there is about 10, uh, we think, images in that to give you a real 
starting point, a starting point basically of, um, you know, what kind of shots you can try to expect to get. And if you could just start with practicing like three or four of trying to nail those shots, like the go-to shots that are safe, and then you'll find that like you're aiming for one of those, but something else awesome happens instead. And that's cool. You're ready to capture that. But at least if you have a bit of a guide, sometimes it's like, it's like having a posing guide when you switch into, you know, boudoir or, or yeah. branding or something, you know, having a posing guide can be really handy. So that's a free download on our website. I highly recommend you jump on that and we'll share the link with you so that you can pop it in your show notes. Jen, that I'm sure that would be helpful for anybody wanting to start introducing pets into their offerings. Awesome. All right. Well, I always like to wrap up the podcast with the same three questions and we can like kind of round robin it. So the first question is what is your favorite business tool? Uh, Acuity scheduling. I like it. Do you want more? <laughs> I was not expecting that. I was like, she's either going to go Airtable or Zapier. Like one of them uh, is in the yeah, running. And I, then know, you I was just <laughs> fired up quick. My gut instinct was Acuity. Acuity or, or using an online scheduler totally changed my business. I used to, I'm a people pleaser anyway. So when I had inquiries come in, I would just fit them in whenever I could at my next available opportunity and that led to burnout was fine when I was Mm -hmm. only getting a few inquiries a month but once my business was you know really quite busy and I was having all these inquiries flood in and just fitting them in whenever I could I was working myself to the bone trying to quickly shoot all these sessions so having an online scheduler in place that sort of said my no for me and put those boundaries in place for me you know just have however many sessions I know I can comfortably do per week and these are the hours I want to do, then I didn't have to say no to the client. They can just pick it themselves. Plus you save yourself and your client all that time from the back and forth. But yeah, that's why I pick online scheduler because that was a little bit of a game changer for me. I'm all about systems and boundaries. So I like it. <laughs> what about you, Christy? Uh, mine would have to be Zapier, I think. Or Zapier. I'm not sure how everybody says it a bit differently. You know, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, it's something that integrates two systems together, basically, and can help automate everything. I had a photographer recently that I was mentoring saying that she didn't know she wanted to pay for it. And I looked up how many zaps we use for the club every month, and it was nearly 5,000 every month. Can you imagine if Caitlin and I were doing 5,000 little tiny annoying tasks every month instead of Zapier? I mean, that we would not be able to do anything else other than those tasks. And even then, I mean, we'd have to have a VA probably. I mean, this is way cheaper than a VA. (laughs) Total game changer. It allows you to link things that don't normally integrate together. We use it for absolutely everything for the club, for... um, Bits of Bernard, my my studio in Australia, I used it um, for so many things like uh, from bookkeeping, you know, connecting things together finance-wise to sending automated emails to automatically posting social media from, you know, images uploaded from a session to everything. Social media also from when a client first books in a session because I'd have them automatically put something up there. I mean, you can just use it for so many things. It's fantastic and super affordable when you compare to the cost of a VA or yourself doing all of those little tasks. So that would definitely be mine. 
I love it. I love Zapier. I had no idea there was, I, you named a couple of capabilities. I didn't know it did. So that's awesome. Okay. Then my second question is what is your favorite quote? I'm a quote fanatic. Failing to plan is plan, planning to fail is mine. You guys should never ask me quote questions or favorite books because I don't read business books and I'm not a quote person. Um, but in saying that, <laughs> I'm just, no, no, I think I just don't have one like to do with business at all. Oh, that's okay. One thing you put on the form is don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. Robert Louis Stevenson. I like that. <laughs> Um, okay. And then the last question is my favorite. It's not business related in the least. If I were to come to visit, where would we go and what would we have if you we went out for drinks? Ooh. Well, uh, oh, sorry. Yes. Um, if you come to visit here in Melbourne, Australia, we would probably head over to our nearest rooftop pub, which is where me and my partner used to we have a six month old now um used to like to spend you know saturday afternoons if i wasn't shooting in the sunshine and we can have a dark and stormy oh my favorite cocktail a little bit of lime a little bit of ginger beer love it so yeah that's what, it's summer here so i'm in the summer vibe <laughs> hey i'm down it is snowing here so i will take some of your summer vibe please <laughs> I was thinking that whole time, like, yeah, but you're in Melbourne. How many sunny days do you get on a Saturday afternoon per year? <laughs> oh, we're in a heat wave at the moment. So, <laughs> you know, Jen, this would have been a really interesting game to play to ask us to answer for each other. Because I would have said Second exactly that is. for Caitlin. I knew that was her answer. I love but that. Actually, Caitlin wouldn't know mine because uh, I've moved and uh, she doesn't know where I live really. I mean, she knows the address, but <laughs> she doesn't mean yet. But I can answer mine for you. My husband is a winemaker in oh. Barolo region, which is one of the most prestigious wine regions in the world. So I know all about where to go for drinks in my backyard. This is a UNESCO heritage region because of its vineyards. So you're definitely going for wine. It's going to be Nebbiolo, which is um, the king's wine. Uh, Barolo was made especially for the king when there was one in rain. And it would definitely be um, a tiny little uh, cantina on the hill uh, within the Lange region. So a winery overlooking all the rolling hills here, which is very beautiful. Hopefully you, if you're here in winter, it's a super clear day like today because then you have 270 degrees of Alps in your background. Oh, my goodness. Um, otherwise, if it's in summer, you have the smell of the, uh, the grape blossom. So either way, win-win. I love it. I love it. Well, hopefully I'll get a chance to do some international travel at some point and visit at least <laughs> one you tell? <laughs> Can you tell that I'm still a tourist here? I'm still excited about what's in my backyard. Like <laughs> I listen, I, I live I've lived in Kentucky now for I think it's going on nine years. Yeah, it'll be nine years this summer. And I love like I talk about Kentucky like I moved here like a couple years ago or like a few weeks ago because I just love it here. So I, I understand the sentiment. <laughs> nice. 
Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to to come on. I know we've got uh, Caitlin is up early in Australia and Christy is up very late now in Italy. So thank you so much for coming on. Where can our audience hang out with you, find more information about becoming a pet photographer and more information about your offerings? Yeah, definitely. If you want to get super inspired by what kind of amazing work is being produced out there at the moment, I would suggest the first place you head is Instagram. Easy to find, the Pet Photographers Club with underscores in between each one, but probably if you just type it, it'll come up. We're all, we are always uh, sharing other photographers' work there. So I would recommend you head there because super inspiring, especially if it's award season for for us, we spoke about our, our awards um, at the earlier stage of this call, um, this recording. Uh, yeah, and then it's super flooded, but even throughout the year. And uh, then next up, you definitely want to jump onto our website, thepetphotographersclub.com. You'll find everything that you need there. We have the podcast. You can listen to the first half of every episode for free. We're currently recording, I think, season 11. Yeah, season 11. So you've got lots of archives you can go through there. The first half you can listen to without being a member. If something interests you as you're listening to one of those episodes to catch the second half, you will have to join up. It's just $10 a month. um, And that obviously goes a long way to helping us keep putting out all of this content that we put out. We also have tons of freebies, as we've mentioned a couple already on the website that you can download that might help you get started or you can check out some of our courses. We have a bunch on there as well. And just, we recommend that you just get involved, you know, like we have workshops a lot, enter the awards. If you've got some content to enter, jump in. If you become a member, jump in with our Facebook mastermind group um, because it's super active. And, you know, this community is awesome. I always say like Animal lovers are the best kind of people. I think uh, everybody has to agree with that. And honestly, that really is reflected within the pet photography community. Everybody is here to help each other and bring each other up. So um, yeah, reach out, get involved, and, and we look forward to you joining us. Awesome. Well, thank you both again. And I hope you all have a great week. Well, that wraps us up for this week. Thank you so much for joining on this episode of the Success Beyond Lens podcast. If you are loving our content, it would mean the world to me if you subscribe to our channel or left us a review. You can always hang out with me on the gram at Success Beyond the Lens. Hope to see you guys next week.